This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by SR3 Rescue Concepts because you don't know what you don't know. Life Saving Systems Corporation, we do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated hoist and winch provider. And Hilo Vodka, simply better vodka. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help you with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They're ready to bring your agency up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is amazing! With certified and flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I'm happy to say that I get to be one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 has partnered with Petzl to assist with the PPE inspection course and the highly specific Lazard, which is used in helicopter cliff and mountain rescues. SR3 goes above and beyond the helicopter world too. They also provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com that's sr3rescueconcepts.com and follow them on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue that's sr3 underscore rescue we're also brought to you by Life Saving System Corporation they manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear from my favorite harness as a rescueman the Triton to the rescue baskets and litters, and of course, the most popular hoist hook in helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts, bends, welds, sews, and machines these products into existence every day and then sends them on their way to us. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com. That's lifesavingsystems.com. And follow them on Instagram at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. We're also brought to you by Breeze Eastern. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those who get rescued has not. Contact Breeze Eastern today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. That's breeze-eastern.com. And we are brought to you by Hilo Vodka. Hilo Vodka is a premium craft vodka made from the highest quality ingredients and six times distilled. Hilo Vodka was made to be crisp, refreshing, and unintrusive. It's exactly how vodka should be made, clean enough to drink neat and worthy to be mixed with your favorite cocktails. They make a crisp, refreshing vodka that is carefully carbon filtered for a smooth sip and no bite. Hilo Vodka is 100% American made. It is proudly veteran-owned by a former search and rescue pilot. Simply Better Vodka. Order yours today by visiting shophelovodka.com. That's shophelovodka.com. FedEx delivery is available in most states. Use the promo code CAPITALS, R-E-S-Q, and you get 10% off your order. Plus, if you buy three bottles or more, it's free shipping. Please remember to drink responsibly, and FAA Part 91 says 8 hours, bottle the throttle. In this episode, we're joined by another one of my rescue swimmer instructors. He played a huge role in making the rescue swimmer program what it is today. So please welcome my friend, rescue swimmer number 5, that's right, number 5, Butch Flythe. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Real Rescue Podcast. Today, I have with me uh, a legend in our rate. Yes, and you can say it later. United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number five. Yes, five. The guy started the rescue swimmer rate. He was also in, yes, the movie The Guardian. I had to throw that in there. Mr. Butch Polite. How are you, Butch? Thanks for making me feel like a relic. Awesome. Just awesome there. Are you kidding me? Uh, Like, it's awesome. So uh, everybody, this this was one of my instructors right here. And and I remember many, many things about Butch Flight is an instructor. And it was. uh... (laughs) And how you got through A school is beyond me. I tell you what. It was my good looks. That's what I'm going with. Well, it was your smile. I was like, you know what? He sucks, but he's got a nice smile. Oh, Oh, ouch, ouch. You know, I try. I, you know, all I remember is. No, you were a good. You were a good student. I, were, I didn't have any problem. You no. were smart, Alec, but that's okay. I was not. If, oh, you were too. I might have been a little bit. Yeah, you, you had were. a good class. Yeah, you did. <laughs> my my favorite memory of of having you as my instructor was at one point, and I don't want to ruin it for anybody that's going to go through school someday. But I jumped in the pool. And there you are, and I'm face to face, and I didn't know what to do, so I stuck my hand in your face, and then I got somebody else. I'm like, oh, this is game on. And then it was it was game over. I lost after that. <laughs> well, you shouldn't have stuck your hand in my face. I, it was the first thing that came to mind. I, I don't know. You panicked. Just tell them. You panicked. I might have panicked a little. Okay, I, all right. I had Butch okay. in front of me. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know what? So I'll tell you what. Um, I had Al Yates on here. I've had uh, Mike Odell that on old here. Fart, man, uh, no way. Yep. Yeah. So both those guys came on, and I, I will tell you that, and I and I truly mean this. You know, you guys as my instructor, and this is just speaking to me personally. I, I learned so much from you guys. It was it's really what helped me throughout my entire career. Is that that baseline that you guys provided for me and us as a class. So thank you well, for that. You. Yeah, thank absolutely. You. So uh, for everybody else out there that doesn't know Butch Flight, please introduce yourself to everybody and, and kind of a little bit of background about you and how you got into the Coast Guard and be a swimmer. Well, uh, I was uh, born in a little town an hour east, oh, excuse me, west of Elizabeth City called Hosky. It was a tobacco town. I grew up on a tobacco farm and my father was a lawyer. His name Joe Fly Sr. I'm Joe Fly Jr. He did uh, catfish hunters contract with the Yankees. He was an old, uh, he was an old country lawyer, but um, he, he was, he was a little bit famous and uh, just a good man raised me right. Um, my mom too, she was an old, uh, Idaho rancher girl and, uh, she met my dad in the air force. And then years later, poof, here I am. Um, but you know, I actually started in the national guard in the army and went to army basic training in Fort Jackson, South Carolina in 1979. Yeah, yeah I know you weren't even born yet, but anyways, I was, uh, I was, I, I were was, you born? I was 1979. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. I stand corrected. I said corrected. Okay. I was so, uh, so I was in the <laughs> army and, uh, I, you know, I, I went to college for a couple of years and I was doing reserves in the army and, uh, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, I'm, I'm just not sure this college things for me, you know, that's why I like Mike Rowe. If you watch Mike Rowe and he talks about, Hey, why do you think you have to go to college? You can make six figures as a plumber within three to five years. If you go to a trade school, Right. So, you know, the whole thing about, you know, what is each person geared towards, I think is a better approach in the high schools than just, oh, you got to go to college. It's like, why? Why do I have to go to college? And so, you know, when I when I said I, I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, the college thing isn't for me. Um, I got a friend who was a bosun mate, small, uh, small boat coxswain down at Swansboro, down here in North Carolina. He goes, dude, you don't try to coast car. It's kind of like living in a fire department. And I went, really? I went, well, shit, I'll check it out. Well, when I went in the Coast Guard, so it was pretty hard to get in. This was in 1982 when I was applying. Uh, you had a six-month wait just oh, wow. to get in. And you had to have you had to have six references, one from your high school principal. 
And then, you know, one from a pastor, one from, there were all kinds of references you had to have. And, uh, and then you, maybe you got in. And so I got in and then um, went to Cape May and as prior service training, because I've already been through army basic training. And they said, okay, we've already been smacked around. So we'll just marinize you and turn you into Coast Guard. So they had this um, four week shake and bake course called prior service training. I don't think they do it anymore. I think now when you join the Coast Guard, you just got it. You're like everybody else. But back then, if you had already gone through another services basic training, they put you through a, a four week shake and bake course and threw you out in the field while I was on the Coast Guard Cutter Sherman. The thing that helped me was I took my uh, Coast Guard enlistment physical here to Elizabeth City at the air station because that was the closest one. I was only an hour away in a hospital. The fly surgeon says, are you thinking about aviation? And I went, well, yeah, I'm thinking about this ASM rate right here. That looks pretty cool. And he goes, well, I'm going to go ahead and give you a flight physical instead of an enlisted physical. And that way you'll have one on record. Well, nice. I didn't know that at the time, but he saved me. I mean, because when I got on the Sherman, everybody went, you want to go ASM? You're going to have to re-enlist because the waiting list is five years. I got orders in a year and a half. Wow. Because, because that flight surgeon gave me a flight physical. And what they did is they went, when someone dropped out of a class, they went down the list and said, who has that's current flight physical. If your current flight physical wasn't current, they just went on past you and they jumped like, I don't know how many dudes came to me and said, flight has a current one, send him orders. Well, I'm on, I'm in the Bering Sea and the yeoman chief comes out and says, hey, we just got a message trade. You got to worst the ASM school. And right behind him was a bosun mate chief for him. Flight, you're not going to take those, are you? I've been training you as a bosun mate because I was, I figured I'd strike bosun mate while I was waiting for ASM. And he goes, I've been putting a lot of money and time into you, flight. You are taking them wing maggot orders. Are you? And I went, <laughs> yes, chief. What? And, you know, he's like spit flying in my face. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> I got midwatch that night. I'm up on the bridge and I got Bosa made it a watch. And the CO, the skipper, comes up and goes, Flight, you're not going to take those aviation orders, are you? <laughs> and my skipper was a big dude. He's missed Captain Billingham, big jutting jaw, New Englander, tall guy, ship captain. You, when you look at him, you just think, ship captain. Captain, you know, nice, nice. Like, yes, skipper. I'm gonna take him. He went, You synonym for a private part of a female. Um, <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> I just went, yes, yes, sir. He went, I'm very disappointed in you. And he walked back down below to the captain's quarters. And I was like, Man, I gotta get out of here. Everybody else is going, Dude, that's awesome. You rock, get off my work. So, so. I end up at ASM school and uh, we get a briefing on, well, you might be required to do this swim thing. They got this new program going on that they're thinking about putting in place. And it means you're going to have to go down to the Navy and go through this school to learn how to be, a, you know, kind of like a, a lifeguard uh, out of a helicopter. And I was like, well, okay, well, you know, I took lifesaving in high school, no big deal. So I graduated ASM school. And I get assigned to Elizabeth City right across the road. Literally, can you do me a favor and can you elaborate a little bit more on on like ASM school prior to the rescue swimmer stuff? Because well, ASM should... school, ASM school before was like the Navy parachute rigger course, Coast Guardized, because they used to go to um, Navy PR school. In fact, a lot of the guys in the early of the program they went to Lakehurst, New Jersey, to Navy parachute rigger school. Okay. And then they came back to the Coast Guard and the people in the Coast Guard said, yeah, I know you learned all that name stuff. Now let me show you the Coast Guard stuff. Nice. Okay. okay. So you learned how to pack chutes. The big thing was, is that we still had par personnel parachutes in the aircraft. Yeah. So you had to learn how to pack chutes. You had to learn how to do a lot of that kind of stuff. And uh, so that's kind of what ASM school is all about. Rescue swimmer. You know, when I looked at it, that wasn't in the job description. I didn't, I, did, I, I was just going to be an ASM. Well, then my EO calls me in and he goes, hey, we want you to go to this Navy school for rescue. So I said, oh, well, they, they said something about it in A school. And uh, so I said, sure. I took lifesaving in uh, high school. I can, I'll be okay. He goes, okay. So they send me down there and like for the first, I check in and they go, oh, you're a mud duck. And, uh, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Uh, listen, baby. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so they say mud duck, lean and rest. And I was in the lean and rest for like an hour while this Navy instructor was spitting on the back of my neck telling me about what a scumbag I was. I was like, I don't think this is Red Cross sanctioned training right here. And, you know, literally, I didn't know what was going to hit me. And, uh, I mean, one of the swimmers had come back and go, he looked at me and goes, dude, just be ready. And I went, big deal. Rick Wolford. Now, Rick Wolford is swimmer number three. So he, uh, Rick had come into the shop and he goes, so you're going down? And I went, yeah, I'm going down next week. He goes, uh, be ready. And I'm like, yeah. then when I got down there, I went, wow, okay, he was right. And Matt Fithian, who's swimmer number four, he was in the class in front of me. And so he comes to me in the barracks that night and he's like, they hate us. They hate us. These Navy guys hate us. They're trying to kill us. They're trying to kill me. <laughs> Uh, okay this is good you know because back then you know well I was the only coastie in my class each of us that went through except for one and two Gordon and Ober um, they got to go through in the same class so you had a coastie in your class with you the rest of us we were all the only coasties so whenever they wanted to pick on somebody's like where's my mud duck mud duck front center and you're like mud duck cares there you know oh my god wow and then um, I got through school, got back to Elizabeth City, and, you know, I was like, wow, this is serious, because um, Master Chief Farmer got through school, he showed up, and uh, they started the program, and, you know, at first they were like, okay, well, how are we going to qualify you guys, and what syllabus do we use, nobody's got a syllabus, and basically I went through the Corman, the flight Corman syllabus, okay. in addition to the rescue swimmer side, that's what they started with, because nobody knew what to do. So we just kind of went through it and it was just teaching you how to, you know, pre-flight, look for leaks, know how to do a safety check, all that stuff, you know, yeah. typical airman stuff. Right? right. They just didn't know what to do back then. And then the what really kind of caught me was the fact it was the resistance. Um, there was a very huge resistance to the program in the beginning um, by the hangar deck. Um, the mechs were like, well, we don't need you guys. I go, well, obviously we well, do because somebody somewhere said we need these guys because, you know, there's a gap somewhere, but they were, they were adamant. Even the pilots, I actually had a pilot come in. I had duty one day. He came in and he went, well, you can bring your gear, put it on the plane, but, you know, enjoy your ride. I'll never use you. Literally. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Okay. You know what, what really got us going were Navy DCA aviators that had transferred over to the Coast Guard. And then they would come in and go, well, what's the big deal? They're trained to jump out. You throw them out of your aircraft. They go get the people. They put them back in. What's the big deal? You know, and the Coast Guard trained pilots were like, whoa, it's a little alien to us. Go, well, get over it. You know, so it, <laughs> yeah. So it, uh, in the beginning, we were hardly used at all. Right. You know, I don't have any big chest of metals because I really didn't have an opportunity to do it. You know, they, they, they you know, it would. I mean, I had a couple of good cases, but even then in the beginning of the program, the, the, uh, um, the environment was, we don't get medals for doing our job. I, so all of the, yes. all of the early swimmers really didn't get a whole lot of decoration until Jeff Tunks. Jeff Tunks is the one that broke that ceiling with the uh, bluebird case up there in Sitka. Jeff was the one that was the first one to get the DFC and he really, busted it wide open everybody went well hey okay see they know how to put people in yeah. for an award you know? yeah and i'll tell yeah. you right for everybody out there that hasn't listened to jeff, jeff tunks go back on this podcast and just do a little search find jeff tunks and listen to that case it is yep. Jeff's a, jeff and i he, he's a very good friend of mine i love jeff to death he was uh um, when I was Alcy Tech, he was Alcy Prime, and we were working together all the time doing stuff, and we made a lot of changes that were resistant. And, yeah. and Jeff and I were like, shoulder to shoulder, get out the way, it's coming, whether you want it or not. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Jeff's a good guy. I like Jeff a lot. He's a good brother. Well, you know, you have done so much for the rescue swimmer rate, like from when you guys started. And I, and I say this to Steve Hathaway. Jeff Tonks, all of you guys just paved the way for us. Um, one of the things I, I remember specifically coming out of school is like, you know, we were upon graduation and you had sat down with our class and did a little drawing on the board and whatnot. And it was like, hey, this is kind of the old school mentality. 
And this is the new set mentality right here. And you have to merge the two. And you guys at the new set, just be aware that you're dealing with some of the old set and, you know, the old mindset of it is what I'm referring to. And, right. uh, and there's yeah. things, you know, there's, there's tactical ways to move forward. And that's right. exactly what we did. Great advice. Well, it was because it, when it started out, the rescue swimmer was the last resort. And then it morphed into the Swiss army knife. I don't go anywhere without it. I got my Swiss army knife rescue swimmer. I use him for everything. Right. So, you know, I tell you when I knew that the program had really got solid footing and on the ground is when I started hearing people say, um, instead of, well, that's the swimmer to that's my swimmer. Oh okay. yeah. Next, next change. They would say that's the swimmer over there. Okay. Yeah. And then about mid nineties, they would say, that's my swimmer right there. You know, and I'd go oh, right on. So now we're part of the family again. Yeah. But it took, it took about 10 years for a paradigm shift Yeah, because it, yeah, there were, there was actually an air station. There were a couple of air stations that refused to do it. And literally master chief farmer had to go in there with the admiral waiting on the phone to tell the CO to say, but yes, you are skipper. You're going to implement this program. That, that's how big the pushback was in the beginning. Wow. Yeah. Well, I appreciate everything you guys did because uh, I've had an awesome career and I've loved every bit of it. So. Oh yeah, yeah man. I'll tell you what I tell guys, you know, it's the, it's the greatest job in the world. It really is. It's going to be gone one day, so don't, you know. I, I, I talk to the young kids now, and I go, and I ask them the question, who are you? And they go, well, I'm a rescue swimmer. Go, no, no, I didn't ask you your job. I said, who are you? Because one day that's going away. Yeah. And if you, I put your whole identity in the fact that, well, I'm a rescue swimmer. When it goes away, now what? Are you a bucket of crap? Or Way to go deep there, Butch. Jeez. Yeah, well, I do. I, you know, I, I sit there and I go, you know, you got to remember that I realized that early on, I said, this can eat you alive. I mean, if you want it to, if you let it, you have to remember that I got a wife, I got kids, I got family, I got faith, I got a God, I got all that stuff that that makes me who I am. And this is my job, which is awesome. And it's a great job, but it's not who I am. Right. It's what I do. Yeah. And how you, how you portray yourself, how you hold yourself. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, now that we've got a little bit of background on you and, and I, I get it, you know, like you said, uh, a lot of you guys that were, were in the forefront of paving the way for the rest of us. Um, you had a hard time actually being deployed and whatnot, but everybody's got their first case and, and you've done some time in the Coast Guard. So what was your first Okay, case? you want to hear it? It's, it's riveting. Awesome. It's riveting. Okay, so I'm sitting in the uh, shop and the klaxon goes off. Put the red helo on the line, put the red helo on the line. Two girls in a life wrap off Nag's head. I'm going two girls in a life raft off Nag's head. What, what does that mean? So we go out and the, you know, the pilot says, yeah, there's a couple of girls that got caught in the tide and they, they're paddling in a circle and they just keep getting further and further offshore. So we're going to go out there and see if we can help them. So we fly out and it's two little 14-year-old girls and they're in a life raft. They're probably about 200 yards offshore. And yeah, they are. They're literally paddling in a circle because they don't know how to paddle. So we got the message board, the old, you know, Old technology, you get a marker, you right, paddle on opposite sides. So we're holding up this board as we're hovering over them. And of course, the two girls just go, oh, I'm so embarrassed. And they drop the paddles and they're just doing this. And it's the pilot's like, okay, this isn't working. But it's just, why don't you jump in and see if you can help these girls get to shore? And I'm like, okay, well, all right. It's evening time. The sun's going down. I'm like, yeah, it's about to be feeding time out here. I think I better get more. Let's get going. <laughs> so I jump in the water and I swim and go, hi, girls. They go, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Look, you paddle over there. You paddle over there. And I'm going to be back here and I'm going to kick. And basically, I just kicked them to shore for about 200 yards and came on on the shore and dropped them off and, you know, got their names. And then they dropped me a hook and picked me up and the crowd's out there. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, big, big <laughs> tremendous case for Butch fly. First case. Wow. You know, but as long as you were waving to the crowd on your way up, Hey, you're welcome. Good to see you. I'll be no, there's another, there's another story there. I got in trouble for something, but anyways, uh, 
So they pick me, me too. up. I go back. Me too, Mike. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I go back to the unit and everybody goes, well, with that heroin case, I guess you want relief, don't you? And I went, okay, I get it. No, that's fine. I'll take the duty night. Because, you know, we, we if, if someone got a case, it was a really hard case, we'd say, okay, I'll relieve you, man. I'll take your duty tonight. And back then we only had five guys in the shop. And I went, no, I've literally just kicked two girls to shore in a raft. So I'm not going to take relief for that. And they're like, we would expect you would not do that. So I thought, yeah, okay, right. Well, then three o'clock that evening, the class goes off and says, hey, two guys in overturf Silverwood, 100 miles off of Cape Hatteras. And then that was like, okay. okay. So like when it rains, of course. Yeah. And uh, what happened was is um, a squall line came through that night because we were all in the barracks. It's like, holy crap, this is a pretty th- severe thunderstorm. Well, there were two guys on a sailboat offshore out there and they got blown over. They got capsized. And so they had a, uh, a beacon that was hitting the SARSAT. And it was one of the first SARSAT cases that was ever documented to say, okay, the SARSAT is what helped us find these guys. So what happened was is they launched a Falcon the Falcon went out, and as we were on our way out in the H3, and the winds were still a little bit up, seas were still, I mean, it wasn't huge waves, you know, like, it wasn't like Jeff Tunks, let me put it that way. Yeah, okay. The winds were up, it was a little bit of seas, but it wasn't bad. You know, it was like, you know, we're bouncing around going, yeah, okay, whatever. But the Falcon goes, yep, here they are, right over here. And so when I pulled in, um, when they pulled in, they went, yep, yeah. and and the pilot, Dave Seavey, well, I'm in a Bible study now, by Boy, I always tell this. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, but anyways, uh, Dave Stevie goes, Butch, why don't you jump out and see if you can help these guys? I was like, yes, now we got a good one. So it's, you know, so I'm, I'm pumped. I got my wetsuit on. I'm thinking it's going to be cold. We're 100 miles offshore. We're in the Gulf Stream. Hit the water. I almost pee myself because the water is like 80 degrees. And you're like, how can it be 80 degrees out here? It's like still winter, you know, but it was the Gulf Stream. Yeah, yeah. And so I swim up to the guys. They didn't hear that. They didn't hear that. Because, like I say, the waves were still churning. There was still a chop. Um, I swim up to my pop-up go, hi, guys, what's going on? I'm a rescue And they jump like, holy crap. And, and I go, well, you know, and the sailing vessel was the Alyssa was the name of them. There were two guys on. And I said, I need you guys to come with me. Well, where are we going? I said, in that helicopter right up there. And they went, helicopter. And they looked up and went, oh, my gosh. So, the uh, I took the first guy and I grabbed him and cleared him and headed to the basket, put him in. The second guy grabbed, said, Okay, man, your buddy's up there. Let's we'll put you up there next. He's like, I don't know. I said, like, Don't worry about it, man. I got out of control. He actually, you know, everybody goes, Oh, why do we need escapes and releases? That guy turned on me right before I got to the basket and I had to do a release on the surface. Wow. And this guy said, Hey, you need to calm down. You know, so everybody's going, oh, we don't need release. I go, oh, yeah, you do. I've been yeah. grabbed before. You know, so I finally got him. I got him in a basket and went up. We both flew. We all flew back to shore. So that was my first really good, uh, other than the 14-year-olds in the raft. I, that, that, one was the, <laughs> that one was the good one off, off of uh, Cape Hatteras. We were about 100 miles offshore. Wow. Because, you know, when you, when you fly out that far, you know, you start looking back going, there goes the horizon. Yeah. Goes, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That's a that's a far that's a far flight in for no H3. Yeah. yeah. H three. Dad loads of gas, loads of power. Yeah. yeah. So well, not loads of power. We had plenty of gas. The power it still wasn't that powerful an aircraft, if you think about it. I mean, it still, if you got in winds and you were leaning into it. It was still good. I mean, you know, look at Jeff Tunk's oh, case. Yeah, yeah. They were trying to hover. Yeah. It gets blown off shore and it gets blown yeah. off station. And then the pilot has to, you know, he's two blocking a stick yeah. trying to get yeah. this thing in because it was a good, don't get me wrong. I love the H3. That was an awesome aircraft. It was big. You had tons of room in the back. I mean, you could freaking <laughs> throw baseball back there. Yeah. But, but you know, it was, it was old technology. You know, if, if you could, I like the S92. That's what oh, I like because you know right? it's like a stretch sixty. That's what I like. That's like H three yeah. and sixty combined. Nice. So. Yeah. And so I've never been on the well, I've been on the two two five. I have not. I've been on the H. Uh, sorry, the S ninety two. I've just never deployed or hoisted out mm-hmm. of it. It's something I would love to do yeah. someday. I'll get there. Yeah. But right. man, that that's awesome. That's a that's a good little. Uh, that's a good start. Again, and yeah. that that right there is what started like the 
the ball rolling all over. And so you had yours, Jeff Tunks, and then you had yeah. um, uh, Steve Hathaway's. You know, you guys really started setting the precedence. Like, wow, these yeah, guys Don, are useful. Don Murray's up there in Kit Cod too. He had yeah. that big one up there. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, there were the, the cases started popping up and people started changing their mind a little bit. Yeah. Some people. Nah, there are some people that were hard set against it right up, you know, like say 10 years into it. Yeah. Um, but like say after about 10 years, then, then it went too far the other way. Then it was like, okay, I need a swimmer all the time. Well, wait a minute. You're not staffed to have a swimmer on every aircraft. When I became program manager up in DC, I went, you know, now these guys are flying here. I've done, I've gone to all the units blue sheets and everybody's flying everybody. They're flying the piss out of everybody. I mean, yeah. look at the hours on an AS and an AST and look at the hours on everybody else. I mean, yeah. they're twice yeah. as many because, you know, they're going on a diagonal bounce and go on the, on the pattern and they're taking a swimmer. It's like, well, you just, you just well, you put a swimmer on a flight. Well, well, I want to be divertible. Yeah. <laughs> Well, go get one. You stop. Yeah. Get one. Yeah. You're gonna have to come back and get fuel anyway. Exactly. You know. So <laughs> it, that was that was funny. I, I actually went in there. I did an I did a study and and I handed it and I got it through headquarters that said we were 150 AST short by the number of hours we were flying. Wow. Got all the way through headquarters and into Congress, and then it died in Congress. So I handed my package to Scott Dyer, and Dyer took over, and he man managed to get some bodies when they got a, uh, um, I think it was when they were bringing the 144s online and they, you know, they always gave you a few ASTs for maintenance. And he said, right. well, I'm pulling those into the swimmer world because, yeah. you know, we'll use them. They'll get double duty out. Of them. So was Which was something that, that um, you know, like, and I talked about this before is, is the double duty that you're talking about is being qualified on multiple aircrafts. Uh, mm -hmm. Like you had mentioned earlier, you were a drop master on the C-130. Yeah. So you're yeah. air crew and drop master on the C-130. Uh, I was air crew on the C-130. That was required for everybody when I showed up to Kodiak. All of us swimmers had to get Yeah, I kind of set that precedent because I had too many guys that, you know, didn't know what was going on with the Hurts. And we had a whole shop full of Hurt gear. And I went, this is stupid. Right. You go over there and get qualified so that you know what you're doing. And I got resistance on that at first, but most of them, came back to me later and said, Hey, I'm glad you did that because it, it opened was, my eyes to my gear. Yeah. I was stoked. Um, and, and I remember, and, and I remember thinking the same thing that you just said, like, well, why are we doing this? I'm never going to fly on this. That was actually not true either. I ended up standing yeah. like a month of duty for the C-130 flew all around. I remember actually flying at one point, uh, going down South or going out way out West. And I had the Russia on the right, and the U S on the left. Oh yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. This wow. is kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> Herks are great. I used to yeah. take ice patrols when I wanted to get away for a little while. I go, hey, I'm going to take this ice patrol and go up there and, and get away for a little while. And uh, then I forgot that, you know, you're crossing up there and they give you the daggone screeched in because it's your first time on ice patrol, which is screech is this nasty rum drink that the Newfoundland people like. And it's like, the, <laughs> I think they take the bottom of the barrel of the rum and pour in some rubbing alcohol and stir it up and then it becomes screech. I don't know, but yeah, after 15 shots of my initiation up there, that was, uh, that was pretty uh, bad. I'm glad your liver survived. And I had to fly the next day and we had to fly in zero visibility. We were dropping marker buoys on these icebergs and uh, you're looking back as the airplane flies that way and you're bouncing around. So you're back there going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah yeah oh my goodness yeah. that's awesome yeah. um so I, i'm gonna ask you just a couple more any other memorable rescues off the top of your head that you can that you would like to share with us um i'll tell you the one that really kind of messed with me a little bit and i think it's something that people as swimmers you know they think okay i'm a rescue swimmer it's all good and they don't realize that you know and i tell the young guys now when i do i do an out briefing for the coast guard aviation association so that you know say hey join up you know the taros we're the silver fins we're the guys kind of the old farts but hey we're here to help and you know but but i had a case where it was about 70 miles offshore and I had to get a Japanese merchantman off of a, of a vessel. He had fallen 30 feet down a stair onto a metal deck. Okay. And so when I got there, I looked at him 
And I said, okay. That was one of those, you know, when, when you get an EMT school and they go, obvious signs of death. You remember that? Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I looked at this guy and I said, okay, obvious signs of death here. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm mindful of people around me. So then this was right before the AIDS thing. So we were still lip locking everybody and nobody had pocket masks. You know, I mean, we had a positive pressure ventilator, but nobody had pocket masks. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to start CPR on this guy just so these people see we're taking care of him. I'll hook him up. And then I had a flight surgeon in the bird in the bird. And I said, and and I'll put him up in the bird. And the flight surgeon, I know, will just look at him and say, yeah, he's Omni Omnitech and he's gone. Um and uh, so I did that. And when they picked me up and I get in a bird, the flight surgeon and the corpsman that he brought with him are back there working on this guy. And I'm looking at him like, hey, doc, I mean, you know, I'm an EMT one. I can tell you right now, this guy's dead. Yeah. I mean, and he's like, no, we're going to resuscitate. And I was like, son of a. So I, I'm up there. Uh, he's a pilot now, but he was an AT at the time, a guy named Val Walicka. Um, Val Walicka, um, was the avionics man and Val and I were up there. He was helping me do CPR while the corpsman and the doc are trying to suction and start IVs and all this stuff. And so we're doing it. And every time we would blow into this guy's mouth, as soon as you cleared, you'd get a gush of CSF and blood in your face. Oh. And it was coming out and it was all over the Val and I looked like Jason, you know, when we're sitting there like that and you're like, Oh geez, man, this is awful. And so we're pushing on this guy for an hour. And, and the worst part was, is the doc, he goes into suction, the, the suction of patient, leaves the suction on. And if you remember the old kits, they ran off your O2 cylinder. He ran the suction, the O2 cylinder to zero in like four minutes. And then we had to go back to mouth to mouth. Oh. So, it was, so it was, you know, and I didn't, at the time, you know, I'm a third class rescue swimmer and I'm not going to override a flight surgeon. But I was, you know, if, knowing now what I know, if I'd have had, I'd have just went, no, doc, I refuse. But I did it. I went right this. I wrote him into the ER at Norfolk General, and the ER doc reached into his throat and just went, what are you guys doing? And I went, ask the doctor on the plane, because it wasn't my idea. And it, uh, yeah, that one messed with me for a while. That was the first time where I would say I probably got something like PTSD. Yeah. And, uh I had flashes of that guy's face, smells would trigger it. Val had the same thing. Yeah. Um, and that was back in the days when they really didn't recognize it a whole lot. It was like, ah, go home, drink it off. You'll be okay, which is the worst thing to do. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, I, I managed to, um, I managed to get through that, get some healing on it. So, uh, but that was my first just nasty case in which I tell these guys when they come out of school, remember it's not all glory. You're going to see some nasty stuff. I mean, I picked up fingers off of a fishing boat deck because, you know, I, I get lowered to the deck and the guy says, yeah, he lost all his fingers. They had already bandaged him up. And I, I look at him, I go, well, where are the fingers? They go looking at each other. Well, what do you mean? I go, well, you know, they can put the fingers back on. You guys know what the fingers are? They go, well, we were spraying the deck off to clean off the blood. I go, well, hey, do you have strainers? Let's go out here and look. So we're picking through fish guts and stuff. And I'm like, here's a finger. Yep, here's one, you know, we're picking and finding fingers and wow. he actually got them back. The doc got them back on and he wrote me a card and said, you know, I don't have full use, but I'm kind of like a GI Joe with a Kung Fu grip. I can hold the coffee cup and it looks natural. So as long as I got a coffee cup in my hand, everything's good. Thanks a lot for what you did. So. Oh, yeah. wow. See, that's cool. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. It's it's it is kind of funny. No, not funny. It's interesting you talk about that like that. You know, you have so many of us that have cases that that stand out, good or bad. You know, you have the good ones. You're like, you know, we saved the day. Um, so many people lived. You know, Hurricane Katrina. I'm I, oh, yeah. as a as a reference, hundreds of people were saved. You know, just. That, that were. But you know, a lot of guys got messed up in that too. You know, agreed. I've had a couple of guys that I put through. Um, ORW that we were talking about uh, earlier between you and I, and uh, that had leftovers from Katrina from some things that happened. And I'm not going to go into details, but it was pretty nasty. It was like, oh my gosh, you got to right. me, dude. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that you have the other side of this. And Mike O'Dell talks about it, you know, very well is that 
you have to understand that it's not all glory. You are going to have that bad day. And that bad day is like their worst day, but it's going to affect you. And you have to be the, the, you have to know how to progress forward past that. Yeah, he's exactly right. He's exactly right. And, and the but, one you know, thing we're, 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 we're kind of tuned into it now as far as like the silver fins is like, if we see a guy that needs to go, Hey dude, we can get you some help. Just say the word. We'll get you some help. Yeah. And you yeah. know, the VA, the VA gets help, but you know, swimmers are kind of, and, and I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say we're seals or anything, but you know, swimmer communities, guys in those special ops communities, when they get thrown in with the general population, a lot of times they don't understand. It's a different world sometimes. And they want to be with their brothers or people with similar things. And so that's that's why we try to to come from our our community aspect and say, yeah, you're here with brothers yeah. and let's go get you some help. Well, and the, the great part about that statement right there is that we understand what each other is going through. And yeah, there's and right. others that have never experienced. Right. Let, let's just start with a school. Once you graduate a school, and, and I'll throw this like you said, the, all the special forces. I'm not a special forces guy, but I graduated U.S. Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer School. That was a huge accomplishment for me and my fellow students and my fellow brothers. That I'm all so we have all embraced that, and that's what brings us close together. So you, that's number one. Now you get a gnarly case. That's number two. Now you get a gory case where something happens where it starts messing with you. Right. You know, you sit down in the shop and, and next thing you know, you're, you know, not that I want to say promoting kicking back a beer, but if you're sitting down with the boys and it's like, Hey, let's just, let's just sit down, man. Let's. Well, you know, if you're kicking back one and telling your story, that's fine. You know, Agreed. you know, what I'm talking about is like, you know, go home and just pour it down and, and you'll drown your sorrows. And it's like, no, you ain't going to drown them, dude. That's not going to work. Right. You know, having a beer with the boys that's different yeah it's different yeah it's, it's it's talking about it and some of those cases are hard to talk about they are especially you know especially if the swimmer has a wife and kids and then he goes out on a case and he has to deal with a hurt kid that's right. similar to the age of his kids then it really hits him home and it's like man i just look I had a swimmer in Kodiak like that. And he comes in and he goes, man, you know, just, ooh, I'm a kid. I mean, I'm freaking out here because that could be my kid, you know? And it's like, Oh, easy up, man. It's not right. your kid. Let's talk about it. You know? Right. And uh, yeah, yeah. I had, I had something similar out of humble. There's a little girl mm-hmm. that got pulled out and then a 21 year old got pulled out. I grabbed the 21 year old. We ran out of fuel, had to go back next aircraft is coming up and they're doing CPR on a little girl, same age as my daughter. And I was like, you know, between and it was great because Sean and myself we ended up talking about that case after and well we yeah. did have that group powwow after but it, yeah. and again I can't emphasize it enough and this is this is not just U.S. Coast Guard Navy SEAL pararescue this is guys around the world everybody yeah. that DMS paramedics you know absolutely yeah. um, you know this the stuff Pops, that, yes the stuff that we see is not. Like to the, to the normal, I'm going to normal. I use that, that term loosely, but yeah. to the, I'll say to the average Joe out there, they don't get it and they're not going to. You know what, you know, what really ticks me off is when you see these things about, well, the kid says he has PTSD because somebody triggered him on a, some kind of political thing. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me yeah you know people like that just fly in the face i mean the way the the society right now some people in it right just they really jerk my chain it's like you know what (laughs) when you're drowning in somebody else's blood all over your body you come talk to me right you know otherwise shut your pie hole yeah when you're staring at that face that's looking back up to you with no life in it you know you know that you're out there trying to save and do everything that you can for them and it didn't work out yeah come yeah. talk to me they, yeah, they, then we can have a conversation and right. until you've been in that situation don't come at me with, yeah, exactly yeah, yeah so man i, I know I, we're, we're, we're care, uncaring and unfeeling i know you know, my wife said that about me for a long time. She's like, you don't have a heart. I'm like, you? honey, honey, I, I do have a heart. It's just, 
really solidified. Miley <laughs> Quinn, no way. Uh, you know, and, and now actually, I, I say this in in my very first podcast with her um, is that I, I really didn't talk to Mel for a long time just about what happened, and, and only recently with all of this, she's right. learning stuff, and she's like, "You did what?" <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. well, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, but it's been good. So, yeah. um, I, I appreciate your time. So I, I'm not going to keep you too much longer, but I am going to ask for one more question or one more favor. And that is a little bit of advice from the number five. If you could tell, and I, this is very broad in general, but if you had some advice to pass on to the rest of us, the guys that are in, what would it be? Cheeseburgers and red wine. Hell yes. <laughs> you know, can it, I go a steak? Can I just get a good, you know, like a Wagyu no, steak maybe? Third pounder. No, but uh, <laughs> no. I, what I, what the, the advice I give is what I give these young kids now. It's just, you know, I tell them, you know, you need to remember that who you are is not your job. If you, if you I, make your entire identity rolled into your work, then when it's gone, you're going to turn into a bucket of crap. You're going to fade. You're going to, you're going to seek, you know, kill your pain one way or another, alcohol, whatever. I mean, I've watched it happen yeah. with a lot of people where everything was my identity is my job. No, it's your job and your family and your faith and everything that you do for your soul. That's your identity, but don't roll it into your job and say, well, I mean, I, no, I say it all the time. Oh, yeah, I was a rescue. Fire. I'm very proud of my job. But I know where to put that wall and say, yeah, but that's work and that's job. You know, it comes with great benefits, i.e. a brotherhood that I know I can turn to in time of need. And I know that they'll, like you said, they'll understand because they know where I've been. So if I need help, I can turn to the brotherhood and I can get help. But but just to just to reiterate that fact that your job does not define you. It affects you. It affects your life. Your, what, who you were is what made you able to do that job. So the job, as hard as it is, the solid foundation that either your parents or your faith or whatever put into your soul before you even came into that job, that's what made you allowed to do it. You know, it's, it's, there's, a, there's an interesting book, and I would suggest any guy in the rescue world read it. And it's by a guy named John Leach, and it's called Survival Psychology. And John Leach is the recognized expert in survival psychology. And what does a human do in, in survival times, right? So, and what he'll tell you is that, well, I just had some, some email traffic with him uh, a few months back, and he said, well, it's not. 108010 it's really 1575 I'm going to say 108010 just cuz it's nice round numbers and okay. easy to explain but there's this 108010 rule there's 10% of the population of this earth that no matter what you throw at them they're going to survive they're wired that way they're just wired to survive they just come up with a way the brain is wired it's there 80% of the population you can probably train them to do that with the right training. You can get them enough training that a lot of that 80% is still going to be able to survive. And then there's 10% of the population. And it doesn't matter what you do. They're going to die. They're just not wired. Going back to the, you know, things like when you go back to the Estonia disaster in the nineties and a good friend of mine in Sweden was the swimmer on that. He's a Swedish uh, rescue swimmer. And he, you know, Leach recounts things on, you know, guys, the, the, the ship is literally at a 45 degree list and people are coming up to the money exchange going, I want to exchange my Krona for Euros. And it's like, what? Go get your life vest and get to the lifeboats. What are you doing? You know, people just disconnect. Yeah. And uh, so what I would say to my brothers in the raid is that you're in that 10 and the upper part of that 80% that, you know, that's why, you know, when we, we get in the training philosophy at the schools, they go, well, we can make anybody rescue somewhere. I go, no, you no, don't. You, can't. you find yeah. a person that has, that's wired for it, and you give them the tools to go out and become one. Right. But they get, you know, the whole, you know, attrition rate always is high 
visibility because you're washing out all these people. Like, oh my God, we gave you 18 students and you graduated too. You know, they get mad at headquarters, you know, but this staff here, man, they've just been, they're constantly hammering on us. Like, look, we're just doing the program. I mean, you know, so I would just, uh, in my, in, in my final words, I would just say that the, 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 my brethren and sisters in this rate, they're in that 10 and that upper 80% of the population that are wired to do it. And, uh, but remember that it's not your identity, it's your job. I love it. Butch, thank you so much for coming on. It is awesome to see you. I, I look forward to our next Good to see your smiling fit. You always had a nice smile. <laughs> Even though I was maybe making you have pain, I, you did it with a smile. So yeah, it's I, all good. Guys, always smiling. Even then when he's down there in pain and sweating and he's still smiling. Yeah. You and another guy named John Burkhart. John Burkhart, he was smiling. I used to call him smiley because under stress, he'd smile. That's what I, I do. Like, John, is something wrong? You're smiling. <laughs> you know, okay. <laughs> Okay. I love, I love both of you. Oh man. Thank you, Butch. I love you too, buddy. I appreciate it. Right on brother. Awesome. Nice job. Thank you. Very proud of you. Thank you. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the real rescue podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me like, and subscribe. Oh yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.